Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. Hey everybody, it's your favorite instructor, Ryan Bradshaw. Coming to you again with another podcast, and this podcast is for business law, business 11501 for spring semester 2020, and I hope you guys are doing great this week. I've got something a little bit different for you to start things off tonight. Uh, tonight we have a guest, um, and the guest that we have is none other than my daughter, Bella Bradshaw. Bella, say hello to everybody. Hello. So, Bella, the reason I had you on is because... Uh, you were showing some interest in what we were doing. Why do I always come out here to record? And she wanted to kind of participate. So we are going through the pandemic, the uh, coronavirus pandemic together, and life has changed. And so we were just, just talking a few minutes ago about some of the changes that we've gone through. So, Bella, tell me what you've been up to since we have been going through this uh, pandemic. I um went outside and played a lot, and I did puzzles and we watched movies and I went my to my grandma's house and I spent the night and we did a lot of stuff and it was really it's been really fun so far okay so can you tell the folks what some of the movies you've been watching or because because my students really like to watch Netflix and things like that so what are some things that you've watched as far as movies or shows that you're really interested in right now well um well I watched Onward, and I watched, um, I really just been watching Onward a lot. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Onward, we were going to go see that in the movies, but unfortunately, the, the movie theaters have closed down right now, right? And that's kind of a tough spot. So, we decided to go ahead and get that uh, available at home so that my children and my nieces could could watch that so we're trying to still entertain the kids and so what else have you been doing with your time bella i played with my cousins and um i colored and you've been doing some school work too haven't you yes so tell me about your school work what have you done i've done um some ELA ELA and um, some um, central message and um, the it's okay if you can't think of everything yeah well I'll, I'll tell you something else that you've been doing that you neglected to mention we've been eating every day right all like yeah really good food so Tell everybody some of the good food you've ate that, that your dad has helped cook or that we've been able to, to get since uh, since you've been out on this uh, this little siesta we're on. Well, um, uh, hot dogs, hamburgers, and sausage, sausage dogs, um, uh, spaghetti. Um, he cooked bread. And it was homemade bread, and it was so good. That was probably my favorite part. And um, 
Well, if you wanted to tell everybody out there something that would make them feel good, so think about it for a second, some, some message that would make everybody feel happy and good, just listen to this, what would you want to tell them? Um, be safe, stay inside, and, um, and, uh, don't, uh, Go do like social distance. Do you want to stay away from a lot of people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what you what you were trying to say is uh, do social distancing, yeah. right? Yeah, so that you're staying away from folks. Yeah, but guess what? We're gonna get through this, right? Yes. Well, Bella, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I'm gonna like uh, do the fist bump. No, nah, we'll get a hug later. Okay. All right, darling. Well, I appreciate your time. You're free to go. And I will talk to you in a little bit, okay? Okay, bye. All right, bye-bye. Say bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. All right. Thanks, Bella. We'll talk soon. Okay. All righty. So that was uh, my daughter, Bella. She wanted to participate, and I said, well, come on, let's go. And so that was a learning opportunity for her to kind of see uh, how this thing works, you know, how I do my, my little podcasting here. All right. I appreciate you guys humoring her, and I think and I hope she made you smile by hearing her sweet little voice. Um, outside of that, I've got a couple things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I wanted to talk, you know, about current events, number one, but then I wanted to talk about um, kind of a recap of the chapter in practical terms, what it means for you practically when we talk about Chapter 11, Secure Transactions. How does that apply in a practical sense? And then I uh, also wanted to talk about money. I know that we've... Um, this is a good time to talk about money because of all the crazy things that are happening in the world right now. So I guess to talk about current events and things that are happening, um, you know, obviously we're still going through the pandemic and, uh, I really think that as far as where we're at located in the world, that, um, we really are just in the early days of it and, you know, it's going to be many, many weeks before we reach what's known as a peak, where we, we top out. And if you've looked at this at all in the news, which I hope you have, you'll see that um, the progression of infections, regardless of location, whether you're looking at city, states, countries, whatnot, you see this bell curve, and it's where you see uh, infection rates increase, and then they reach a pinnacle. And then all of a sudden start, you know, to pan out and decrease over time. And so you see this uh, looks like a wave. This is bell curve. And once we get to the pinnacle, the peak, uh, and start to have a decline of cases on a daily basis, that is the good thing. That's what we're aiming for. And so let's say that in the United States, we get to a point where we're having, you know, thousands and thousands of cases every day, you know. Um, of, of new cases and right now we're there you know like I think um, last time I checked we were I mean we're over 200,000 cases but uh, you know we're, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of I mean several tens of thousands of cases every day but eventually you know that number will peak and crest and then we'll start to decline where it's down to the single digits of thousands and then it'll be hundreds of new cases a day and then it'll go down to less than 100 cases per day 
and then it'll get into the you know the double digits and then into the teens and then back down to you know single digits and once we get into those declining numbers that's that's when we really have defeated this first wave of uh infection and that's going to be a really good place for us to be in the short term because we will um have kind of got through this first onslaught and given hopefully our medical uh, facilities time to adapt to prep to get supplies to get respirators and all the stuff they need in order to battle wave two which um experts are saying will come until we have a vaccine that will be able to defeat this virus ultimately and wave two will start the same way wave one did you know you'll have you'll hit a bottom of let's say you do get down to single digits let's say you know eight new cases a day everybody relaxes you know we start going out and back in public still being cautious but over time you know people start more and more socializing and then you go from eight cases a day to 18 to 28 to 58 to you know it starts to grow again and that's when you start to that's the wave two starts to kick in and so um and it takes a few weeks before you actually see the full numbers because of the asymptomatic people walking around so um i hope you guys are dialed into this and paying attention and, and kind of uh keeping up with what's going on i'm sure you are but um we're going to get through this it's just uh being smart uh maintaining you know your social dis distancing and doing all the other things they recommend doing but we are going to get through this and we're going to get through it together um outside of that let's see other current events trying to think anything else is interesting that's going on in the world uh there is some things with the markets that are interesting um you guys are probably noticing gas prices are way down in fact i was in goldsboro last week um to stop by the bank to pay my car payment i had to go i think it, no, it was last week it was on monday i ran because i knew that the uh stay home order was going into effect at five and so i said i got to get up and run to the bank in goldsboro to pay my car payment and um while i was on the way i stopped to get gas in and not too far from my neighborhood and um i paid a dollar 79 a gallon outside of mount olive and when I got to Goldsboro, you know, I thought I paid a good price. When I got to Goldsboro, I saw gas for one sixty nine, and I was like, "Man, I haven't seen gas that cheap." I'm trying to like recollect here, and I don't use that word very often. I think um, the last time I saw gas in that neighborhood was probably around two thousand five, something like that. I don't think it's. <clears throat> it, in, I remember in two thousand five, gas was around a dollar fifty a gallon. And the reason I remember that, because I was just got the, my job working for Walmart, and I had to commute to Whiteville every day. And, you know, I'd get up at like five, five thirty, leave by like you know, quarter to six, ten to seven, or to, I'm sorry, quarter to six or ten to six, and then I'd get down to Whiteville by seven. You know, right on the money, and that's what time I was supposed to be there, seven a.m., and I had to stay till five. And I remember. Something happened. I don't remember what caused gas prices to spike in the summer of summer, early fall of 2005. But gas went from mid, you know, dollar fifty, sixty range all the way up to two forty or fifty, and it really, I was <laughs> kind of it shocked, you know, my my budget. And and I was like, well, 
I'm putting all these miles on my car every week. I mean, when you're doing 120 miles a day round trip, I mean, you multiply that out, and you're talking 600 miles a week. And so 600 miles a week in gas really is a that's a, that's a large gas bill. I mean, even I drive now, let's see, on a daily basis, I drive around 60 miles to Wayne back in to pick up my kids. That's just a normal. So I'm doing 300 miles a week now uh, on a weekly basis just on the weekdays. And, you know, my gas bill for to run my vehicle, I'd say $40 is fair, something like that. So if, if, if I mean, I could just, if I was paying twice that, though, you're talking like $80 to $100 a week probably. And so that, that ends up being close to $400 a month. And that's that's an expensive gas bill to run the vehicle in addition to a car payment, in addition to car insurance. And so I actually had a conversation with my district manager about uh, the price, of, you know, just the, the, the financial trouble. And not just that, but the I was spending two hours a day on the road. So that's 10 hours a week. That's an extra 40 hours a month. So I was already working... Uh, about 48 hours a week at Walmart. So I'm already working, you know, that extra almost 10 hours ended up being an extra week's worth of work a month. You know, if you take that eight hours, uh, which often turned into 10. So that gives you basically an extra 40 hour work week. So that's five weeks. Then the commute, that puts another week in there. So basically six weeks worth of work in a four four week or month you know time frame and so yeah i was really exhausted and i put in put in a request for transfer back to my home store or where my, my where i was living at the time and it was approved and man what a difference that made um i got to sleep later i instantly felt better i mean it was a like i just i gained you know basically two hours of sleep a night at least and I saved a bunch of money, you know, from the commute. I was, instead of 120 miles a day, I was driving like 10 miles a day. It was a big difference. And so, um, but the reason I bring up oil prices and, uh, and gas prices is because you guys have noticed it. And the reason why gas has been going down is because there's been a price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia. And that price war is basically designed to basically um, produce massive amounts of oil in order to put, to drop the price. Because if you know about supply and demand, what we have a lot of, um, it's hard to find buyers, you know, for more and more gluts of inventory. And so you have to lower the price in order to uh, find buyers, you know. So if you've got a barrel of oil that's $50 and you throw 10,000, 100,000, 200,000 barrels out there, whatever, and they say, well, 50, you know, we're, we've got all we can take at 50, and say, well, we've still got a bunch of oil back here. How about if we drop the price to 45 We take some more. And they said, okay, $5 off, I'll take it. Well, they kept doing that, though. And so the price of oil dropped, you know, below 20 bucks a barrel. And it was putting a lot of pressure on companies around the world, including American companies that produce oil. But to consumers, that's great from a gas price perspective because as these guys are pumping out more products, there's a glut of product on the market, and so they have to lower the price to consumers, uh, the the front the front end consumers or, or uh, people that they're at the pumps in order to try to eat up some of the supply. And so there was a phone call made today between our governments, Russia and Saudi Arabia, and oil prices shot up almost immediately because uh, the governments of Saudi Arabia and Russia are now saying they're going to 
cut back on production in order to raise the price of oil. And, you know, I mean, the whole time I'm thinking, well, if we can have a dollar sixty or seventy gas all the time, why don't we? Because <laughs> it's obviously a manipulated market. Uh, same thing with so many things like diamonds. You go to buy a diamond, you know, you go to buy, you know, go to a jewelry store, you want to get an engagement ring, you know, you pay, you know, whatever. I mean, it could be five hundred or five thousand, but the diamond market is closely monitored and the supply is purposefully restricted. Nike does the same thing with shoes. Um, if you've ever, uh, I mean, I, I'm a fan of Nike. I wear Nikes. But uh, Nike purposefully will only release a certain amount of a shoe in order to increase the desirability or demand of it. So they could print infinite amount of shoes. They could just make them no problem. But they might say, well, for this run, we're only going to put out 30,000 pairs, you know. And so people will line up at Foot Locker and shoe stores to get this exclusive pair, and they'll turn around and sell it for two, three, four times what they paid on the Internet. They even pay people to stand in line to get these shoes. And so you see this type of supply-demand thing play out across many different you know, markets for products and services. And so, and even like now in this coronavirus deal, you're seeing things like masks, and sanitizers getting you know people charging exorbitant rates for those things i mean they had like standard small bottles of hand sanitizer like i don't know 12 ounce bottles they were selling for you know like 45 bucks on on amazon stuff like that i mean you know i don't know i i've uh i haven't really like decided about the price gouging thing like it is price gouging but at the same time you've got an item that the market demands and they're willing to pay a premium on it, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I have kind of mixed feelings. I can see both sides of the argument. So, all right. So the next thing I want to talk about is a recap um, of the chapter 11, but not a full recap. I wanted to really talk about some practical applications. And so um, with secure transactions, um, you should know what that means by now. You should know what collateral is. And um, a lien, a lien is like a string that connects. Or attachment is also like a string that uh, attaches. Um, you should know what fixtures are. These are uh, items that are connected to a property. And if that property is sold, they are also a considered part of that property. So we've talked about many different aspects of secure transactions. But what does that mean for pra in practical terms? Uh, because, you know, we, we talk about theory and book stuff a lot, but how do we actually apply this to our life? And so um, I'm going to give you a perfect example that came up uh, th yesterday. It actually manifested right before my eyes. And the, this application, when I, when I saw what was happening, I was like, man, this is a secure transaction, like, right here in front of me. You I mean, you've actually got um, consideration, the works. And so I'm going to go ahead and share that with you. And this will be a story that kind of puts theory to practice with regards to Chapter 11. And so yesterday, I, I, my daughter wanted to stay with my, my, my mother, her grandparents. And so um, I called my mother and said, you know, if I'm going to bring the kids, you know, to, to hang out, the, my, my nieces stay with my, my parents every other week. 
I said, well, if I'm going to do that, I'll just plan to bring the supper I was going to cook, which were hamburgers and hot dogs, and we'll plan to eat at your house because I could feed everybody, and that's fine. And so mom, being mom, she starts getting things together, like kind of what her side dishes she wants to have, and she made these two incredible fruit bowls with um, apples and oranges and strawberries and grapes, and it was just, yeah, I loved it. It was great. I'm a big fan of fruit. You know, I think you should eat fruit every day, by the way. Anyway. So on the way over there, my daughter had mentioned, she said, you know, I really want some of that Jordan sausage. And if you, I don't know if you guys know this place. There's a place in Clinton in Sampson County called Jordan Jordan. It's a, it's a little grocery store, but it's also a butcher. And I've been, I've been getting food there for my whole life. It's been, it's been around older than I am, longer than I've uh, been alive. But anyway, my whole life, um, my parents have been getting this uh, homemade sausage that they make there, and I've eaten it every year, you know, that I can since I can remember, and it's always tasted the same. It's consistent, and what happened was the original owner that started it actually um, came up with a recipe for his his sausage blend, and he sends off to have it sent back to him pre mixed, so he gets his own custom pre mixed recipe. And when it comes in, it's labeled Jordan and Jordan sausage mix, you know, but it's, it's proprietary. Nobody else on earth has this blend. And so I went into the, I said, you know, on the way to my parents, I'm going to stop and pick up some of the sausage and it'll be a surprise uh, for my parents and my nieces. And they'll all be happy because this is kind of a, uh, I guess a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of a, uh, an, uh, an attainable luxury, I guess, um, is, is what I'm uh, there was something that they talked about in the news last week where things that do well in hard economic times are things that are obtainable luxuries like food items like Starbucks where you can go and, and spend, you know, you may not can afford a big fancy meal, but you can afford the five bucks for a Starbucks every once in a while. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice thing. So, yeah, this was uh, uh, an opportunity to do something nice. So I go in there and it's expensive. I mean, it's, it's four four forty a pound. So I got five pounds of this sausage, you know, which is a nice, generous amount. And the reason I did that, I wanted to have some left over for the next day, breakfast for the family and everything. So I, I get in there, get the sausage, uh, get over to my parents' house, uh, and, you know, relax a little while. They were happy I got the sausage. And um, my mom mentioned to me, she said, you know, I need to run to the store with, with Dad. You know, we're going to run out for a little while, and uh, we'll be right back. And so that's fine. So I said, well, I need to go light the grill and get everything going. See, that's the other secret behind this. Once you get the sausage, you've got to grill it. You know, charcoal, man, that's it's just makes it so, it's like smoky and smooth, terrific. And so light the charcoal, get it all prepped. You know, it's, it's got a nice glow on the coals. Turn it over. Because uh, I use a little, it's called, it's, I actually don't know what the actual term for this device is, but it's like a, charcoal chimney it's about one foot tall and about i don't know eight inches across it's circular it's made of stainless steel and you pour a charcoal into it and then you put some straw and pine cones underneath it to light it so you don't have to use lighter fluid but it really gets the coals going very well so i, I turned over the chimney got the coals set up properly and then i go back in slice the sausage up into generous links go back put them on the, you know clean the grill off put them up there let them start smoking. And then my parents took off. Um, 
And then, you know, this is probably 20 minutes later. I'm out there just kind of hanging around, and this truck drives up. And I didn't know who it was, never seen him before. This older gentleman gets out of the car, and he said to me, once again, I never met him before. He said, you remember who I am? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know you. He said, well, um, he started trying to explain who he was. I said, I think you think I'm my dad, but my dad is is Glenn. I'm, I'm Ryan. I'm his son. He said, oh, I thought you were, you know, your dad. So we got to talk in a few minutes, and he explained who he was. He had purchased a a trailer for my dad previously. It's these. Uh, it's just a standard trailer that you hook up to a truck to haul, you know, lawnmower or equipment or trash or whatever you want to do. And my dad had two trailers, and he he had bought one from him. And um, he likes to take things and fix them up. So he was working on the trailer he got from my dad, and it was going to be a while before he could get it ready. But he needed another one for something immediate. You know, he needed it quickly. And so he came back to my dad's house to offer to purchase the next trailer, this other one. And maybe maybe once he got it home, the first one, he realized, hey, you know, it'd be nice to have both these things. Or I don't know what the whole reasoning was, but that's his story. And so um, we walked down there and looked at the trailer. I had, I still had the, uh, the sausage on the grill. And at that point, I'd already put the hamburger on the grill, too. And, you know, I said, we're going to have this cold going. I'm going to cook a bunch of stuff, and we can eat it over two or three days. So. But anyway, we get down to the trailer. We look at it a few minutes. I talked to him. Really nice guy. He was a Army vet, 20 years, and he has done a bunch of different things. He worked uh, DOT a little bit. He's a, um EMT now, currently. And so just a super nice guy. But um, came back up and I said, well, my dad will be home in a little while. I can take down your number and, you know, have him call you. He said, well, if you don't mind, I'll just hang around and we can just chat. And I said, that's fine. And so um, I lifted up the grill and he saw what I was cooking and I offered him. I said, have you ever had a Jordan sausage dog? <laughs> he said, no, he hadn't. I said, well, would you like one? He said, he sure would. So I went inside made him one with mustard, took it out to him with a glass of lemonade. And we just kept talking for a little while, and he really enjoyed the sausage dog. He said oh, he's going to have to go get some. That's how good the sausage is, by the way. I'm, I'm giving it a ringing endorsement here. I mean, it's just really smooth, great flavor. And so soon after that, my dad and mom rode up. Dad got out of the car, and they started talking a little bit. And he remembered exactly who he was, you know. Hadn't, hadn't been long since he last sold him the trailer. And then the man tells him why he's there. He's there to buy the other trailer. And my dad was like, well, I don't know. You know, if I sell this trailer, I won't have a trailer. But the, the man was really, really wanted it. He said, well, if I buy this trailer, I'll, you know, you still haven't lost it. If you ever need it, I'll bring it back to you. And you, as a loaner, you can get it back. And my dad was kind of playing hardball with him a little bit, you know. Well, you know, I got the talking and uh, the man said, you know, um, just a little extra part of the story. A tree had fallen during our last hurricane, and there was a branch of the tree laying on the trailer, um, so it would need to be cut off before we moved the trailer. And so the man said, "Well, you could tell he was getting really, you know, really, really wanted it. He was, he was kind of pushing." He said, "Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll cut that branch off with this chainsaw, and after I'm done, you can keep the cha- chainsaw in addition to the money." that I'll pay for the trailer. And my dad looked at him like, keep the chainsaw. And I was like, man, that's, that's a pretty good deal. You know, cause you got the money's offered for the trailer. In addition to this brand new Husqvarna tr- uh, chainsaw. And so 
Um, Dad was still, you know, kind of thinking about it. He said, well, let me think, you know, I'll call you. And they kept talking for 10 or 15 minutes. And before I knew it, that chainsaw cranked up, <laughs> went and cut the branch off the tree, freed up the trailer, and he couldn't move it that day because he needed to go get some new tires. The tires had dry rotted, so he's going to go get the tires. But anyway, he left the chainsaw. What does that represent in the context of business law? He leaves the chainsaw with my dad. What does that, what is the term does that represent? I'll give you a second to think about it. We've talked about this. It's called consideration. Do you remember? So this is a practical application that I was getting to with this story. And this happened right in front of my eyes and I'm thinking, wow, this is awesome that this deal is taking place as a great example for my students. And so he leaves the consideration and that is basically, and they didn't have a written bill of sale or contract yet, but he, he is going to get a bill of sale in order to um, get the trailer tags and everything he needs. But um, that consideration though, basically is a is securing the transaction it's uh putting up something to say you know this trailer's mine you know i put up this consideration and when i come back to change out the tires and give you the money and get a bill of sale that transaction reaches 100 percent performance so they have a oral obligation or oral contracts so i thought that was such a neat event that happened right in front of my eyes and I said, I've got to share that as a great example of how these things we talk about in the classroom really do manifest in our everyday lives. We may not recognize it because we may not have learned about it yet, but these things do happen and they will continually happen to you over the course of your life. You'll be in situations where you're selling something or you're trying to buy something. And I think we need to do more of that, by the way. We need to do more of selling and buying between us as individuals instead of buying everything new from the store. You know, I think um, that's something that uh, being able to buy things that are used that are still great products is a great way to not only save money, but it's a way to help keep money within the people, within uh, the pockets of each other. And so things like Facebook Marketplace, um, you know, anything like that or eBay, that's those are good applications because you could take something that you have at the house and put it, you know, online and sell it and be able to get rid of something that you may not need anymore, but then somebody's very happy to pay pay for it because they need it or want it. And so that's 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 tremendous, you know. And in fact, the the more I've been home during this process, I've been looking around the house of things I can sell just to get rid of because I'm not really using it and don't need it and uh maybe could raise a little bit of money on the side. So <laughs> but I thought you would enjoy that, that story and that practical application. And the next thing I'm going to talk about is our conversation on money. Such an important topic. Man, oh man. And there's so many things happening right now that are kind of outside the scope of my original conversation with money. Because up until this point, the things I've shared with you have been geared towards um, understanding what money is and understanding um, the idea of how powerful saving and investing is. Those are kind of the main foundations of what I wanted to share with you. But right now, 
we're going through um, kind of it's, it's something called modern money theory, MMT, or modern monetary theory, which is, uh, it's unprecedented. I use that word a lot lately because we're going through things that our I guess we're going through things that people alive have never gone through before um, because you know, just the virus alone is just such a unprecedented and weird thing for us. But with regards to money specifically, the government, and, you know, my dad and I had this conversation about a week ago. The government prints money that is the fiat currency. We've talked about that term. Fiat means by decree and means that the government says that this money is valuable, therefore it has value. It's not associated with anything of value. It used to be backed by gold. You should know that by now. Nixon took us off the gold standard in order to be able to print more money. And over time, that has created inflation. And inflation robs you of money over time. Because uh, if inflation is 2% a year, over 10 years, we talked about this, 20% of your money buying power has gone down. And so, but it's not logged in at 2%. It could be 3 or 4 or 5%. Uh, I know that his number is high, but um, it's not unheard of if you when you're done listening to this if you'll google zimbabwe monetary policy or zimbabwe inflation that's probably a better thing to google zimbabwe inflation they actually have a bill in their currency you know we have ones and fives and tens i guess we do have two dollar bills too 20s 50s and 100s those are the common bills in our currency well, Zimbabwe has a common bill in their currency, too, and it's a $100 trillion bill. $100 trillion. Think about that. And the reason why they have a $100 trillion bill is because they've printed and inflated their money so much that uh, it's, it takes those large denominations in order to have value now. Um, to to explain that in a way that's uh, I guess a little little simpler let's say that the government today said we're going to take the money supply and we're going to multiply it times a thousand okay so we're going to take all the money in the world we're going to multiply all the money that we've produced the American currency we're going to multiply it times a thousand okay well all of a sudden that one dollar bill becomes a thousandth less valuable right so Instead of having a $1 bill to buy a soda at McDonald's, you now need a $1,000 bill to buy a soda at McDonald's because the money supply has gone up so much that McDonald's is going to say, well, so many people have money now. We're selling so much soda. We've got to raise our prices to be commiserate with where we were before. Otherwise, we're going to be out of business you know, because our suppliers are increasing the price on us so all the prices go up, you know, pretty quickly. And so even though we've raised the prices, what ends up happening is that people that have stagnant wages where you don't get an increase, you know, or you have minimum wage that stays at stays seven twenty five or seven fifty for ten years, it really impacts people in those positions because, you know, if you look at pay over the past four decades, it stayed pretty flat. But inflation has eaten away at the buying power. And so if somebody started, you know, 40 years ago and their starting salary was $30,000, you 
And you fast forward 40 years, and the starting salary is $32,000, for example. <clears throat> I mean, you got to understand that that 32000 buys a whole lot less than it did 40 years ago, right? And so inflation really does mess with us. Well, right now, what's happening is the government is printing money uh, like in, in a way that it's never done before, ever. The money that we're about to receive, the $1,200 or whatever amount that you're, you're, you, you possibly will receive, um, that money is, was created out of thin air. It's very much like Monopoly money. And I, like I said, I had the same conversation with my dad. They just uh, create it out of, they take, they go into the computer and they say, we want to create X number of trillions of dollars and boom, there it is. And the, there's some downside to that. The downside is that some of it goes to everyday American citizens, you know, and that's, that's cool. But the vast majority of it goes to corporations and banks and their goal is to keep as much of it as they can. You know, think about it. I mean, if you got, you know, $50 billion given to your company to bail it out, would you want to pay it out to employees or try to keep as much as you possibly can, right? So, yeah. So uh, the result, let's, let's, let's just talk about this in terms of our last recession. Let's go back to 2008. The end result of that was that everyday citizens got poorer, basically. Corporations got richer. Banks got richer. Banks got bigger. Um, regulation happened. But it didn't do enough, and then uh, some of the same predatory lending practices and problems that existed prior to 2008 started to exist again. And so here we find ourselves back inside a bubble that is popping. And the only way to contain it, you know, look at 2008, the only way they fix that bubble is to create another bubble. They said, we're going to throw $700 billion dollars. That was the number. It was TARP, T-A-R-P. It was a toxic, um, toxic Asset Relief Program, TARP. The only way to fix it is put this big bubble around the bubble that we already have and make it go away, you know. And so then after that, they started printing more money and lowering interest rates to increase borrowing, more debt. And so companies would issue debt to raise money they would use that money to buy back their own stock to raise their stock price so CEOs could get rewarded, you know. Then they all jump ship with golden parachutes, millions of dollars, and leave the shareholders holding the bag for companies that are massively over-leveraged with debt. And it just, it's a bubble, you know. And so here we are today, and the bubble was there. I saw it. I kept telling, and I'm not trying to say that I'm like all-knowing here, because I'm not. I make mistakes, but I did see this bubble. I kept telling people the market is, I don't understand what's happening because it shouldn't be doing what it's doing, going up and up and up forever. That's just not natural. And what the coronavirus did was it exposed the bubble because it created fear. And then once that fear set in, <clears throat> it showed that the markets weren't as strong as they actually were. And it, it, it and it sh sh like showed shined a light on um, companies that had financial problems. 
you know, I saw an interesting quote or uh, somebody wrote something interesting that said, the expectation is for private citizens to have three to six months of savings to take care of themselves in case of emergency. But why don't these corporations have three to six months of savings to take care of themselves in an emergency? You know, um, and the reason why the answer to that question is because they spent all their money on buybacks. You know, they're buying back their stock to increase the stock price and uh, making their shares value go up, you know. And so, yeah, money is an interesting uh, discussion. I like talking about it with you guys. But the thing I want to stress to you is that right now we are in uncharted waters. Um, the government is printing money. Um, and now is a good time to invest. Um, I don't make investment recommendations, but I'll say that um, when the markets are down, Warren Buffett, I'm quoting him, says, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And so when people are fear and they sell, that's when you need to be looking for opportunities to buy. And so if you're on a long timeline, you're planning to, you know, getting, getting that 401k, IRA, whatever it may be. Um, I've not changed any of my investments, uh, like strategies this whole time. I'm just continuing to invest month to month and, you know, know that over a long period of time markets go up because there's a lot of vested interest in markets going up. All these corporations and all the people associated with them have a vested interest in the, in the markets going up. Um, there are going to be cases of corruption and there's going to be cases of, uh, mismanagement, but if you stick to, uh, diversification, that is such a key word that I mentioned last time we talked about money. If you stick to that, that is uh, a way to help protect your assets. And so you put some money into like mutual funds and invest in stocks, some money into bonds, some money into things like physical silver and gold to have as uh, just in case. Uh, most people that I read, experts say that five to 10% of your portfolio is um, kind of the ballpark for, for physical metals. Um, some in, money in cash. And I'll have a confession on that. Um, I don't keep a lot of cash reserves myself because I invest, you know, and I put my money up in savings. But this is, um, this, this, this crisis has taught me that it's good to have cash reserves because you never know when you're going to need cash, you know? And so, um, my part of my goal in the future is to work on that to make sure I have some cash reserves, not too much, but more than I've the more than I have, because remember inflation does occur. And if you've got money in cash, you're actually losing money. But what, what that, that loss is buying you that, that, that the inflation is buying you is uh, liquidity if you need it. You know, because if I needed liquidity, if I needed cash in an emergency situation uh, and I have to go digging into investments, that's problematic. You know, it could create tax implications and then I'm robbing from the future. I don't want to do that. But if I have a cash reserve, that's advisable. And that's what I encourage you guys to do. And I've said it every time we talk about money, I think, is that your first goal with all this needs to be to save a thousand dollars. That needs to be your first goal, you know, and if you do that, you'll be doing more than over half of America has done because uh, I've seen it many times this past year that I think over half of Americans couldn't raise $400 on short notice if they needed it. And uh, to raise, to have $1,000 on standby, uh, which is a very good amount of money for most, most situations that you could 
need money, you know, and have a thousand dollars standing by just in case. That's that speaks volumes. That's that's tremendous, you know. Um, I encourage you to uh, lean into people like Dave Ramsey. I've mentioned him before too. Total Money Makeover. He's got a lot of good advice. He's very strict, and he can actually rub you the wrong way. He rubs me the wrong way sometimes because he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's very brutally honest with people. You can go to YouTube and watch Dave Ramsey, and he'll. you can just listen to other people's financial problems and learn from their mistakes, but also hear what he prescribes to help people um, with their personal finance. And so the reason I'm doing this to begin with, and I, and I might have mentioned it before, but I'll just tell you again, is because I feel like most of us, uh, I know I didn't get any personal finance education at all in high school. I didn't get any personal finance education in college. Zero. And I have an MBA. And so there's a education gap that I've identified in in education, in business education, and just education in general. We need personal finance because so many people are bad at managing money and they're bad at personal finance and they make poor financial decisions. And believe me, I'm not perfect, but I'm striving to get, be better at personal finance. And everything I learn, I try to pass along so I can help you guys, you know, avoid mistakes in the future. But, but I guess main key takeaways, save your money, invest your money, figure out what, uh, how you can invest your money, even if it's a little bit along, in order to make your money multiply over time. Um, start reading books. I know I harp on that, but you never know where you're going to find that one key book. And, you know, I talk to students every semester, and I, every class I teach, I have students that tell me they don't read. And that's fine. But i got to tell you, you don't read because you haven't found your book yet. When you find your book, the book that speaks to your soul, it'll change everything. You'll, you'll realize Man, I read this book. It really spoke to me. I got it. It was like it was written for me. This book is my book. And then you'll realize that, man, I read this book. I got it. And now I can. I realize, guess what? I know how to read. I can read any book. And, and you know, I, I try to read every day. And I even come across words every day that I don't even, I don't understand. You know, I'm not a dictionary. So I look up words pretty regularly. In fact, I'll say that I look up words almost every day of the week. Um, and sometimes I'll look up a word that I think I know what it means, and I'll look just to confirm if it, if it means what I think it means. There's tens of thousands of words in the English language, so don't, don't worry if you don't get everything. But reading will strengthen your vocabulary. It'll make you a better writer. It'll definitely make you a better reader. It'll make you a better communicator. Uh, and it is the cornerstone of all education. And so find the book that's your book. And, and try to find something in personal finance, too. And um, Dave Ramsey is a good place to start. He's got a book, Total Money Makeover. It's available at the library. They even have it in digital copy, so you could get a library card and download it for free on your phone or device and just flip through it and start reading. Um, I just can't speak highly enough uh, of that particular book, but there's a lot in personal finance that you can get. All right, guys, this wraps up uh, this week's worth of lectures. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, remember, I'm here to help you if you need anything. We don't want you to feel like you're out there on an island by yourself because we're here for you. And so anything we can do to serve you, anything we can do to help you, please let us know. Um, I hope you guys have a great weekend, and I will follow up with you soon. Talk to you later.
thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. I hope you got something out of it and learned something that you can use in the world and share with others. If you did like it, please indicate so by liking, sharing, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Until next time, I wish you well.